What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Gunter, and we've got another great one today. We are joined by Adam Nelson, former professional shot putter and Olympic gold medalist. Adam uh, is someone I got to know through the decathlon that I take part in. And he's one of those people that is just naturally so motivating that you can't help but get inspired to go out and accomplish something. And I talk about him almost like he's a motivational speaker, and that's not the case at all. Um, But he is someone who competed in three consecutive Olympic Games, 2000, 2004, and 2008. In 2000, he took the silver medal. And in 2004, he won gold when the Olympics returned to Athens. Uh, And that's an Olympic Games I actually vividly remember watching on TV. 2005, he went on to win the world championships competing in Helsinki, Finland. And going back to when he was just a wee lad, Adam actually won the collegiate shot put title in 1997 while he was an undergrad at Dartmouth. And fun fact for those who love trivia, he actually holds the distinction of being the first freshman ever to play varsity football. So uh, there might be some out there who aren't that into Ivy League and they're saying, hmm, didn't care to know that. Regardless... Let me hit you with some more trivia, folks. The shot put at the professional and Olympic level weighs over 16 pounds. Okay, now let me put that in perspective. Adam's all-time personal best throw is a throw of 73 feet, 10 inches. Okay, I know people who won't run 73 feet. And for our listeners across the pond, because I know you're out there, 22.51 meters. So it's just absolutely incredible. What I took away from this conversation, like I said, is is just inspiration. But the inspiration was not rah, rah, let's get you fired up. It was having the opportunity to peer into the mindset of someone who, uh, through determination, was able to become great against, you know, in some ways, all odds. Right. So you get to hear about how he approaches it, what motivates him and how that changed over time. A lot of times, I think, myself included, we see someone who's had great success and and we make some assumptions like, oh, well, they were just naturally gifted or they had some sort of advantage growing up that like I didn't have or or most people don't have. But, you know, that's that's that couldn't be further from the truth here. I even asked, like, hey, nature versus nurture, like, what do you think? enabled you to accomplish these things at that level. And he kind of turned it on his head and said, look, it was, it was determination. Like it, it was a willing to do what other people won't. And you get to hear about how that played out over the course of his, his uh, athletic career and his life. So I, I think there's an incredible amount that uh, listeners are going to take away from this one. And just about like what's important as an individual and how you need to show up each and every day to kind of bring the best version of yourself. So I say this every week. Thank you to everyone who has reached out and and given positive feedback on the show. Like I I can't tell you how much I enjoy it. I've gotten to meet a lot of people that I on other <laughs> other sides of the world that there's no way I would have ever connected with. So it's been an absolute blast for me, and we really appreciate it. And I, I couldn't be prouder of the caliber of guests that we have been able to get on the show. They've been so, you know, like I always say, it's gracious with their time. And uh, I think their perspective and experiences that they're willing to share hopefully is is helping everyone listening at home. So we want to continue to bring you the same calorie of guests. So, so please leave a, a review, a rating, uh, follow wherever you're listening, as it really does help me when I go out to, to try and reach these guests. With that, this is one of the longer shows, but I, I fully believe that if this conversation is resonating with you, 
you're not going to want to get it cut short either, right? Because it's just such interesting perspective here that I didn't want to take any of it out. So hopefully enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, please welcome Adam to the show. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. First and foremost, thank you for joining the show. I appreciate that. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Ken. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were catching up before. And uh, this is possibly the worst time in human history that we could try and schedule this. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being gracious with your time and joining. No, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, in the intro, I give a little overview as to your athletic background. And I got to be honest, there's a lot of things I knew about your background, right? Like, you know, uh, the multiple Olympics, three, three different Olympics, right? 2000, yes. 2004, 2008, which is insane. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff that I didn't realize that was really fascinating. Um, so if, if we could even just start helping orient folks uh, with your athletic background, could, could you talk a little bit about uh, how you how you kind of got into shot putting specifically? Sure. So like a lot of kids growing up in the 80s, I guess, um, you know, we were outside all the time. I played three sports, four sports a year, all seasonal. Um, when my family moved to Virginia, my dad took a job uh, with the government for two years and mm. we've been in Georgia. And when I, before that, and we moved up there for two years and when we moved back, uh, I went to a, a private school there and uh, actually the school that I'll be the AD at, that love it. Um, and when I, Oh, so you actually, you went to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's awesome. Was, yeah. It was, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later. It was, okay. uh, it was a interesting story how that opportunity kind of, kind of came about, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so I, um, I was in eighth grade and I played football. Uh, I had a huge growth spurt my eighth grade year. I started off my eighth grade year at like five, I don't know, five, five or five, six, and maybe 135 or 140 pounds. And started my freshman year, um, you know, a year later at uh, effectively five, 10, five, 11, 205 pounds. So <laughs> massive growth spurt. My parents hated me because I was eating so much. But um, are your, are your folks, are, are they, uh, are, are they, like, was that expected? Like, are, is, are your parents big? Um, I, I, I mean, my dad is uh, about six feet tall and, you know, I think at his, in college, he probably weighed 190 or 200. Um, okay. So, so this my, was a little bit of a surprise. Big people. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm only six feet tall. So, but, but either way, my, my dad was athletic. He, he played college football. He actually started as a center at a SEC school at 185 pounds. So oh, uh, no I don't way. know how he did that, but um, it was a slightly different time. But even in, you know, the late sixties, 185 pounds was pretty small. Uh, you know, what's for, funny is uh, I have, um, we have a good family friend who played at Yale back when Yale was like really competitive. At, at the the Cargoza. Cargoza yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was an O lineman and I mean, he couldn't have been, there's no way he was over 200 pounds. Yeah. And you know, I, I think I somehow got a hold of like the uh, program for one of, I was like Yale Harvard back in like, I don't know, 1960 or something. It was like yeah. the whole O line was under 200. Yeah. It was, it was just a different game. 
they did play a different game back then. Uh, and the offensive linemen did more than shielding. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> positional blocks were, were a last, last, last ditch effort. Yeah. Uh, and usually ended up with a, with a, with a leg whip of some sort, um, <laughs> try to break somebody's thigh. Right. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was, it was eighth grade and I'd always played uh, football, basketball, baseball, did swimming, things like that. But it, it, at this time I, I was going to focus on football, basketball, and baseball, mm-hmm. basketball. I, I, I got cut. I, I was, I ended up going out for wrestling, which was a great, uh, a great gift as well <clears throat> that year. And then, um, I went out for baseball and it was like day one or day two of tryouts. And I thought I'd done really well. I wasn't mm-hmm. a great baseball player relative to some of the guys, uh, but I was a good athlete and thought I had a pretty good arm and, and could hit pretty well. And uh, the, the coach at the time, a guy named uh, Tim Schaefer, Coach Schaefer calls me into his office. He's a varsity coach and he's overseeing all the tryouts for seventh through 12th grade. And uh, he calls me in and Coach Schaefer had a had a stutter uh, and and some real weird anxiety. Social, it wouldn't look you in the eye, kind of thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I know the type. He he, he kind of looked at me. He says, "Nelson, you need to sit down." And uh, uh, I thought he was going to give me the attaboy, like you're new to the school, you're doing great, keep working hard. This is these are the areas you need. Yes, uh, Adam, you're just not good enough. <laughs> you're never going to be good enough. <laughs> you're not going to, there's no basically saying there's in, in the, the, you know, sort of most direct way possible you suck. And, right. <laughs> and, um, and baseball's not in your future. He went on to sort of punctuate that statement by saying, even if you went and played with one of the club teams. So there's at the time East Cobb was a big baseball team. It's the only baseball club team in, in Georgia that I knew of at the time. This is like 1988, mm-hmm. 89. And uh, he said, even if you went and played year round, I don't think there'd be a spot for you on this team. And, and that was his way of saying, you need to find something else. Uh, so we'll focus this on is, football. This is before the era of constructive criticism. <laughs> yeah, there was no redirection. There was no right. Uh, hey, look, these are the things you need to work on. Let's sit down and, and develop a plan for that. It was yeah. you, your gene pool just limits you on what you're going to do. That's and so insane. Yeah. So I thought that this was fine because I was going to go out. I wanted to play football anyway. And and I wanted to be the first freshman to ever play varsity football at my school. And Mm -hmm. so I went home and I told my dad, I said, dad, I, I, um, I got cut from baseball today, but that's okay. Cause I'm gonna start training for football. And my dad was like, "Mm, or you could get a job or go out for another sport. He just, you know, firmly believed that boys without structure is just a recipe for disaster. Um, yeah. And I think there's, there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. And so I, um, I ended up, uh, I thought I was pulling a fast one on him. I, I, the track team had a no cut policy and the track team was also coached by the football coach. So I figured it's basically like training for football. So that's how I got started. I no did kidding. a ton of different, I did 10 different events, everything from the shot put to the pole vault to the mile. I did the 800 meters until my sophomore year in high school. Um, ran my last 800 at 215 pounds. Um, and I remember looking up at my coach saying, I'm never doing that again. And at that point, I think I was large enough that he said, okay. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's how it all started. Okay. That's awesome. It's funny. So I was just talking with, um, Eric Hosmer. He's, he's the first baseman for the Padres. And what's interesting is 
he ended up specializing fairly early yeah. uh, in baseball. And I asked him, I was like, you know, I mean, clearly it worked out. I was like, but given, you know, the chance to go back, like, is that something that you would do again? And he was like, no, he's like, I'm, I'm totally against specializing early. He's like, unless you get towards basically like the end of high school and it appears there's a real opportunity that you need to like hone in on. He's yeah. like, but other than that, he's like, there's, there's such a benefit from like exposure to so many different sports. I mean, I, I, so I guess I'll, I'll toss that to you. Like, not only did you play multiple sports, but you did multiple events within track. Like, is it fair to say that that was definitely like, you know, uh, helpful in your progression as an athlete? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I did football, wrestling and track all through high school. Um, football was sort of the, 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 the foundation of like all of my training and for, yeah. for the most part until maybe my junior year. And then I'd, I'd bifurcated between football and, and track. And mm-hmm. then, uh, wrestling was sort of the, the connective tissue, if you will. It was, it was the thing that connected the whole seasons. Um, so, uh, but yeah, they, they all challenge you in different ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, you look at football, football is multidirectional, uh, lots of different hand-eye coordination, dealing with impacts, absorbing impacts and things like that. Um, wrestling is more to me it's more it, there's some hand-eye coordination elements to it but for the most part it's it's the best sport uh on the planet for getting kids comfortable with uncomfortable hmm. you cannot there's nothing you can even if you're a really bad wrestler yeah you can't go in there and and just go easy there's <laughs> no way to do it yeah you know so, every 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 day is adversity Every day is adversity. And, and, you know, I wrestled, I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to wrestle heavyweight, I suppose, uh, for all four years in, in, um, in high school. But I'll tell you this, like, even if you really suck and you're not the starting, starting wrestler for your team, uh, there is nothing quite like having someone who's 245 pounds try to, or more, um, try to squish you every right. single day. And like your job, your role in that, it's one of the few individual sports, um, that is really, uh, it, you can't excel at it without a great group of people to practice with. Hmm. You just can't do it. Yeah. Um, even like, like boxing and some martial arts, like you can get pretty good at different elements of the game, um, on your own. Yeah. Now you can't get to be a great fighter without someone else to, to spar against, but with wrestling, you can't do any of it other no, than just general yeah. conditioning. Um, so I, I, I love that sport in that, in, in that regard. And I think people that are great wrestlers or, or identify themselves as wrestlers, uh, former wrestlers or whatever, have a, have a certain unique quality uh, to, to drive hard and, and mm-hmm. also work well with, with teams because that's what that, the nature of that sport is. Um, and then track and field is it's the personal challenge. Right. Uh, I could go out and have my best game ever uh, in football and still lose the game. Yeah. Um, and not, nobody would ever notice, but I could show measured improvement every single time I stepped out. So and, and from my perspective, the three sports gave me everything that I needed to, to, to sort of succeed, if you will, or, or feed my, my ambitions, uh, I had the, the team elements of, of football and the general athleticism I had wrestling, which, which taught me how to embrace the suck, if you will. Yeah, and, and then, and then track and field, which gave me like, it's that it's the same thing that makes 
the weight room um, intoxicating and addictive to people is that instant feedback loop. I know yeah. I got better today. And it's, it, it was, so for me, it was a great mixture of sports. I forget what question I was actually answering now, but uh, no, you know. I mean, that's in it. I, I completely agree in so many ways um, because, you know, there's a lot of folks who listen and reach out and actually have young kids and they're trying to figure out, and it's like being a parent today, from an athletic standpoint, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to navigate. It's like which opportunities, um, you know, there's, there's no shortage of travel teams and like the amount of like time that parents are being asked to commit. They're trying to figure out where to focus their energy. Um, so I completely agree. I feel like, so for me, I played, uh, through high school, uh, football, basketball, and then I ended up dropping baseball, uh, my freshman year. And I, I ended up doing track my, my, let me think about this, my sophomore and my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I completely agree. It's like each sport, you know, you kind of built off the skills you acquired in one and it, it made you better in the other. Like the kids who were playing basketball, who were also on the football team, like they just brought a toughness that the other basketball guys didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, wrestling i never did but the one thing i did learn is like and this was in college never pick a fight with a wrestler because you're <laughs> right like there is a certain quality and like a comfortability with like suck that those guys are willing to go through like you don't want to be in a fight with those guys mm-hmm. um so that's 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 great oh and did you make the football team as a freshman no uh, we were asked to to play up uh, after the jv season so i was i think yeah. there were like two of us uh, I, they started asking me to play up or, or dress out, but, uh, no, but I, I did start as a sophomore. So, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> if that's the low light of your athletic career, I think yeah, that's all right. pretty well. Uh, okay. So, so you end up, I'll, I'll jump ahead in the story a little bit. If you don't mind, you end up getting mm-hmm. pretty good at shot put and pretty good at football. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what that decision was like, uh, you know, as to like where you were going to spend your time as you as you moved up to the collegiate level? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I don't know. I did my college thing a little bit differently than most kids. Certainly most kids now. Everybody was yeah. so stressed about it. And I just decided that if I just took care of business, that the rest of it would figure itself out. Yeah. Um, so I was a good student and I was a pretty good athlete as well. Uh, my my senior year, I was all state in three sports and all American in one of them. Um, so I had a lot of, and then I was also, I, I, I did a lot of the, not just because I enjoyed it. I wasn't trying to beef a resume or application up or anything mm. like that, but I was involved with a lot of the arts as well. Okay. Um, and, 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 uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe it was the spring of my junior year. My dad and I sat down and had a conversation about schools and he said, look, you just need to go to the best school that you can get into and still be happy at. Hmm. And I think that that was the guiding message of my whole college search. Um, I hadn't even thought about the Ivies. I mean, the first yeah. time I received a, a recruiting letter from Dartmouth, I, I think I picked it up and said, where's Dartmouth? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know? And, and so it wasn't even on my radar. And then my, my, my mom said, Hey, we need to go see these schools uh, in the Northeast. So we went to, uh, Dartmouth, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, um, all in one little road trip. Yeah. And, um, you know, at that time football was still the one that was, I was being most heavily recruited for, I was recruited for football for, by the SEC and ACC schools and was looking at those schools as an option, but they wanted me to just do football. 
And, mm. and I just didn't want to do that. We went to this, I remember going to a visit, official visit at, um, at Clemson and they took us to the academic center and this was before, now, now they're somewhat ubiquitous, but, uh, and in 1990, this was, we actually did the visit, I think in 92. Okay. Um, but you, a lot of schools didn't have these student athlete, uh, academic centers. Hmm. And this was just for their, their varsity athletics program. It was this giant complex, at least relative to what I, I, you know, for me, it seemed huge. Yeah. And you go there and they were going through the tour and they said, so if you want to do a, a report on pick your subject, you tell them what the subject is and what the class and who's the professor. And then, um, they will go to the library and pull all the books for you. And then they will highlight all the relevant, you know, <laughs> texts that you need to, to read. And then if you need pro, if you need help writing the paper, you can write the paper and then we'll help you edit it. And, you know, and you're thinking about this. I'm like, wow, um, what do I actually have to do? Yeah. That's, um, <laughs> and then, look, that's not a knock on, on those schools. They're doing what they can to, to support the athletes that they, that they have there. But I don't know. I just, it just seemed like counter and it, it, it didn't, it seemed to go against the whole nation, the notion, notion of going to college in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, so I, so then I, I started broadening my horizons a little bit and said, I wanted to do both football and track. And I was able to cut a lot of schools because they wanted me to focus on one or the other the wrestling. The wrestling schools were, were, the rest, I was also recruited for wrestling as well. Oh, okay. And I, I quickly dismissed that because I was about 220 pounds, 225 pounds my senior year. Uh, and that was just like this weird size for, for college wrestling. I either had to wrestle guys that were going to be natural heavyweights at 265 or 270 uh, or drop down to 191. I was like, Which oh, would just be brutal. Yeah. So, but then I went on a recruiting visit to Dartmouth um, and – I was sick as a dog. I had like 103 fever the, like the two days I was there. Um, and as a result, like I think all the guys that I met, they were like, Oh, he's never coming. But I had this awesome time to have these conversations with people. And I, I, I remember walking or getting home and my dad was like, well, how was this? I said, well, dad, I was sick the whole time I was there. But, uh, as a result, I didn't really get a chance to like, you know, go out and see and meet all the people, but the people that I did meet, I was like, I could be happy here without sports. And he was like, mm. it's a good school. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how it went down. Um, and I ended up applying to like, I don't know, four or five schools. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of them, the safety schools just in case. And, and, um, all of them I would do sports at, but I ended up getting into all of them. And, and then, um, so my college, decision was really easy. I mean, it was, it was not, it was a very different, now people are so like, you talk to serious athletes now and it's like, Oh yeah. I've got this whole plan of how I'm going to get there. And I'm like, yeah, I just need to relax. Like it, it takes care of itself if you take care of business. So, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I remember cause I, so let me think about this. I, I graduated high school 2005 and that was, right around the time, like, I I don't even think YouTube had come out yet. So it was still like you had to make DVDs and send it to all the schools. You know what I mean? Um, it is stressful, but I remember I had the very same experience where like a letter showed up from Princeton and Dartmouth and Yale. And I was like, what is this doing here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, cause I grew up on the West coast, like North, I mean, I almost grew up, grew up closer to Canada than I did Seattle. Um, and it was just, it could not 
be further from my mind. Like I, I always like knew was aware of the Ivy League. I probably couldn't have told you all the schools that were in it, but like yeah. I never in all my athletic pursuits did I think that like it was going to lead me there. Um, but I kind of had a similar experience. And I think my parents probably also told me, don't be an idiot. Um, so that's how I ended up there as well. But uh, so, okay. So, so you go to Dartmouth, you get the opportunity to play both sports. And at the time, so I know you you said you were being recruited for football for you personally, was football still your priority or did you get the sense that um, you could really do something special in track? It was, it was, start, it was starting to be equal parts. And that was actually the deal that I made with the football coaches because every football coach that I talked to was very candid about it up front saying, hmm. Hey, uh, we know you do track, but we're recruiting you for football. We'll let you do track, but you're going to come and do spring, uh, spring football with us. And you, you have to do our workouts. Yeah. And my deal, one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to an athletic scholarship, go get an athletic scholarship, is they really can't dictate those terms to you. Absolutely. And so I remember sitting down with Coach Lyons, who was the head coach at Dartmouth, at the, the, like very early on, and they'd said everything that you know you say during the recruiting process. Oh yeah, sure, you can do both, and you know as long as you don't ask the wrong question, they won't uh, they won't offer up any information that that yeah. Uh, Best way your decision that causes you to pause at all, right? Uh, and so I sat down with him. I said, "Coach, I said, look." And I was very clear with this in the recruiting process. I said, "Look, I want to do both football and track." And I said, uh, "This was a, before I even got there." I said, in, "In the first sport that says or suggests that I should stop doing one of my other sports for the other sport is a sport that I'll quit." Mm-hmm. And so we had that understanding going into it. And I got there my freshman fall, and everything was fine. And then. Um, I was actually well. I was the first freshman to play varsity football in the Ivies, by the way. Right. So no, I had that's that. one of the things I looked up, and I was like, "Oh, uh, damn! Yeah. I had no idea." Yeah, but th- that was by virtue of timing rather than anything else. I, they, they, I was the first year, first freshman class that they didn't have freshman football. Okay. And uh, I also was on the kickoff team, and we had the opening kickoff. Uh, so, you know. I timed it well, yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, I did, I did play varsity my, my, my freshman year. Um, that's awesome. And, um, and so at the end of the season, they said, uh, so, um, what's going to go happen with track? I said, well, I'm going to go off of the track season. They said, okay. And they were kind of trying to figure out how this works. Well, you know, a lot of the people that do track, cause there are a couple guys that do track and play football. They also do our workouts. I said, well, I'm going to do the track workouts. Um, and they were like, okay, uh, what about spring football? I said, well, if I make um, the the conference championships and the NCAAs, I'm, I'm going to go do those. Yeah. Uh, well, you'll still be available for spring football, right? If it doesn't conflict with those. Right. Um, and so they asked a couple of questions my freshman year like that. And then I came out for spring football uh, after my season had ended in track and I had like a week left. And at the end of spring football, Coach Lyons called me up to his office and he said, so, um, you know, what do you, what do you think? And I said, what do you mean, coach? And uh, he said, uh, he said, well, you really could have benefited from the extra week of football. Uh, this year. And, and we want to make sure that we got you in the fold for next year. I said, well, coach, I know you're not asking me to stop my track for football. Are you? And he's, he was like, I think he was shocked that I called him on it. And I said, cause if you do that, then I, I guess I'm just focused on track for the rest of my career here. And he right. said, no, no, we're, we're good. We're good. I said, but I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. 
if I ever come back, um, because he wanted me to do their workouts. I said, if I ever come back uh, slower or, or weaker than anyone in my position, I'll do your workouts. But your workouts do right. suck. Their workouts were horrible. And, um, and I'm, and get, I'm were, getting a sense that you're a very self secure 18 year old. <laughs> well, I was also really strong and pretty fast right. for my position. So, I mean, I was, I, at the time, I was playing linebacker. You knew what you were working with. Oh yeah, it was a, it was it was a, it was it was basically making a bet when I knew that the deal was stacked, that the hand was stacked yeah, in my, yeah, in my yeah. side. So I, I was, and I never I never came close. So like I never I never there was never a time where anybody in my position was faster uh, than me. Thank God I moved down to defensive tackle my sophomore year. Uh, that made it a little bit easier. Yeah, um, and I was always significantly stronger than everybody else on the team anyway. Um, but that was the case when I started my freshman year as well. I was a, I was a freak in the weight room and, and, uh, it was, so it was a loaded, it was, I mean, it was, you knew the card. It was a very one-sided bet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, you know, on that thought, right. Cause I, you know, everyone knows the person who's just a freak athletically. Um, would you, and you're a humble person, so I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of goading you here, but would you, would you count yourself in that camp? Um, or was it a combination of, you know, like just hard work commitment? Like, you know, like w- what was kind of like setting you apart to that degree from like the other guys at that time? Yeah. I mean, desire. Hmm. And I was the weird kid in eighth grade, literally in eighth grade that, you know, read books on sports psychology and, and strength conditioning and, and then tried to execute them. I didn't necessarily execute them all intelligently, but like there was, I, what I did know even starting in like sixth and seventh and eighth grade was that nobody could outwork me. Mm. And I know a lot of people say that, but that was my mantra. Like if I didn't walk out of a workout and I did this year round, even in season working out for two to two and a half hours, every single day, 90 minutes would have been a short workout. And if I wasn't completely flamed at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I worked out hard. Yep. And I needed that. I tell people my greatest, my, my freakish ability, if you want to call it that as an athlete was not my athleticism, but my ability to endure really stupid workouts and not get hurt. Okay. And if you can do that and endure that over time and actually keep getting stronger, uh, you're going to have great results. So like, you know, I look at like my high school, like, in eighth grade, you know, we only, we only tested bench press until my senior year in high school, Mm -hmm. but I did, um, you know, as an eighth grader, I benched 225. By the time I was a senior, I did 465. I I benched 225 for 42 reps. I squatted 225 for 85 reps. I ran a four, six, four, seven, 40. Um, but none of that was like, people are like, Oh, you're, you, you're, you're, your gift. Like I, there were guys that were 10 times the natural athlete that I was mm. that did have the desire. And one of the things that I always tell people is like, there's a certain minimum threshold of athletic ability that you need to be great. Yeah. Okay. If you're five, two, and you want to play with play in the NBA, you probably don't have the right gene pool to be great. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can be a great basketball player in your own regard, but not, at that level, you're dealing with guys who are, you know, a foot taller yep. or large more who have every bit of the same abilities that you have. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's not saying it's impossible, but it can happen. It, it's just not likely to happen. I had that minimum threshold of, 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 of athletic ability in a crap ton of desire. Mm. And 
I didn't know like where it was going to end up. Like I think at some level I wanted to be a full professional football player. Um, but I knew that whatever the limit was, was not, was not because of, at least I wasn't going to make this the excuse. Yeah. So I just, I just went as hard as I could. Um, and just kept going hard. And then I got lucky when I got to college, my college track coach, throws coach was, a, was really great with programming, uh, and helped me optimize my training in a way that I, I really didn't get hurt, uh, which I was getting to weights. I mean, when you start going over, you know, six or 700 pounds in a squat or four or 500 pounds in a bench press, you're starting to push into levels where like, you know, just being off a little bit can really yeah. have a catastrophic injury. Right. And he was really good at helping me uh, navigate that and make sure that the, the focus was really about developing general athleticism. So mm. if I could, I mean, squatting 700 pounds was great, but if I, if I couldn't standing broad jump over 10 and a half feet, why, why the hell do I need to do a, why do, why do I need to squat that heavy? Yep. Uh, and, and so that was sort of like the benchmark, use these tools to influence this, not to get better at these things. So, right. uh, anyway, no, that's great. And so, I mean, it might be hard to put a finger on it, but like, where do you think that internal desire that you have had? It sounds like even from a young age, like, where does that come from? Uh, daddy issues. Yeah. And a middle child. Okay. Look, it is what it is. Like my brother, uh, and I joke, sort of, you know, it's kind no, of, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, but like I was fortunate to have an older brother that was two years older, mm-hmm. uh, who was kind enough to let me, uh, tag along with him everywhere he went with all of his friends and, and mean enough to, uh, not protect me from them at all times. Yeah. So I had to play with kids that were constantly older, more physical than I was. And, uh, you know, that was it. And then the other thing is, you know, I think that there was a lot of, uh, personal desire to see, um, to, to, to exceed my dad's expectations or to win his affection. And he worked, you know, a hundred hours a week, basically, um, for most of my life. So the only time that I would see him was at these pinnacle moments in sports. Right. right? Uh, and then you'd have his undivided attention. So, I mean, I haven't really given it a whole lot of thought, but I'm sure that, that at some level, um, that, that certainly was a motivator, Mm -hmm. uh, there. So, yeah, I think about that too, because a lot of what you're saying, resonates, I think, uh, with me personally, but I think probably for a lot of people, they, they, you know, maybe not to the same magnitude, I guess it's, it's unique to everyone, but like that, that desire, people who are like ultra successful in whatever their own chosen arena is. Right. I I think that's probably a trait that a lot of those people carry who have, have made it pretty far. Um, and not to throw myself in the ring with you, but I'm just saying like, you know, but for me too, it's like, I often wonder because I have two brothers um, and they're both, they're both doing incredible things in their own right. But you know, like I, I often wonder like kind of the determination that I really value or that drive to just like continually push through, especially when it gets terrible. I'm like, where did that come from? And I think a lot of it was looking at my dad. Cause he was one of those just work nonstop perfectionist, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not going to do it the right way, don't do it at all. Like one of those types of guys. And so it's like wanting to live up to that expectation. Um, but I'm always curious, you know, to hear what people think, like, is it something that you were just born with? Was it, you know, something that was uh, circumstantial, right? Mm-hmm. It's always, it's always interesting, but it's, it's tough to pin down. Yeah. I, I look at this and um, this sort of the nature versus nurture mm-hmm. um, argument. 
I, I'll be honest. Like, I, I mean, it's, I'd love to, at some level, there were times in my life where I probably wish I had more, more overt adversity to face, mm-hmm. um, uh, in my life so that I could say, well, people, what, um, you know, what made you who you are? Um, and I was fortunate, you know, my, you know, my dad is self-made and, you know, didn't have any options without sports. They opened up every door for him. Uh, otherwise I'm not sure what he would have been doing. Um, yeah. but, uh, but because of his work, his hard work and the fact that he met my mom, who's an amazing woman, uh, they were able to provide for us in a way where we're, uh, we have first world problems, you mm-hmm. know, um, as, uh, maybe you can relate to like, um, that's not that they're not real issues. It's just that when you share them with other people, they don't have that, that shock value. Like, ah, oh, you know, I, I woke up this morning and I had to make breakfast, uh, from a full pantry <laughs> and, um, no, but so, so, but the, but the issues are every bit as compelling. And I tell people this yeah. all the time. It doesn't matter where you come from. The circumstances dictate the severity of, of the adversity. Yeah. So for me, like the adversity that I faced was always probably wanting to win, uh, that affection or that moment, that time, mm-hmm. uh, with my, with my dad. And, uh, I probably couldn't have told you that that way, um, uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, at 44, um, almost 45, like I can tell you that that had a much deeper impact than, uh, any kind of other adversity that I might've faced because the rest of it was more or less self-imposed. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because at the time you can't really see that for me, like, you know, becoming a parent, it gives you a new perspective and you can kind of start to like, look back and understand, you know what I mean? Some of the forces that were at play. Um, but no, I, so I think about this all the time and I, I really want to get your opinion on this. So, you know, I came from, a, I'll call it a blue collar family. Like my dad was, my dad was brilliant. Um, but he had mental illness issues that mm-hmm. would every couple years it would, you know, it'd be, it'd be one step forward, two steps back. You know, and that I think that was probably my adversity growing up, you know, like trying to fight through that, watch someone that you love so much battle with something kind of mm-hmm. out of their control and with an incredible amount of stigma attached to it. So you can't talk to anyone sure. about it, um, you know, and, and so that I think that was my adversity. And I'm like now as I get older, I'm like, man, like a lot of the reasons that I operate the way I do for good and bad can relate back to that. Um, but you know, in some ways, and I think this is why football and it sounds like wrestling, like can be such like a valuable teacher is because it it creates adversity. Right. Mm -hmm. And I often think like I've worked very hard and my wife and I've worked very hard. My parents worked very hard that I don't have the same adversity that maybe they experienced growing up. Right. Like I now have a good job. My kids are comfortable. We have a lot of these first world issues. And in some ways, and, and people who are really struggling are going to be like, you sound like such a f- an asshole. But I mm. wonder, like, am I robbing them of some of the that character building adversity by making their life too easy? You know, mm. like, do you do you think about that at all? Because you have how, how many kids do you have? We just met your two daughters. Two daughters. Yeah. yeah, I've got two daughters. Do you do you think um, about that at all? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. Um, I. Uh, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I do, but I don't, I don't know how it's going to impact them. So I, at, at some level, when you have to fabricate adversity or diversity or whatever it is that you're trying, the experiences that you want that are, you think are defining moments for, for, for kids. Yeah. I suppose there's a, you know, it's hard. I had this conversation with a friend, a college buddy of mine in, in Austin and, you know, we were talking about Houston before we started as far as the diversity here. Mm. Um, and he said, you know, he loves Houston and he's, he, since college, he'd gone all over the world and, uh, he loved the diversity, like just traveling and the diversity of like Europe and different areas of the world that you just don't have in a lot of areas here in the U S and he said, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have here in, they were in Austin, which is a fantastic city is like, is trying to fabricate diversity. Mm. And, and that's what, cause that's what he, it's like one of those, for him, it was one of those defining moments. that's really important for his children to experience. Yeah. And they just couldn't do it the right way. And I suppose when we had that conversation <clears throat> and you can broaden that from diversity to adversity, but um, you know, on balance, uh, I think with, 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 with real adversity, um, the result is one of two extreme options. Usually, yeah, uh, they can be angels and demons on your shoulders mm-hmm. and, and whether or not you respond to them positive or negatively as you, um, I always tell people that my angels, my angels can be as, as powerful a motivator as my demons can. Mm-hmm. It's my choice. And as kids, I don't think they have the wherewithal to differentiate between uh, how to, you know, negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement in that way uh, and deal with adversity in that same way that I can as, a, as an adult and, and was able to do by the time I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that the challenge is to create an environment for your children where they, they have the challenges uh, in front of them where they have to push themselves. Um, and if, you, if there's some diversity or some adversity that falls into, the, falls into the mix, you know, showing them how to work through it. But the importance, you know, I, I'm kind of rambling here. But No, I, I'm, I'm um, with you. And I'm, I'm, people can't see, but I'm nodding my head. And I, I kind of subscribe to the thought that, you know, the adversity can be hard work and that can mean a lot of different things. Right. So like, if we're talking about sport, like, let's call it what it is. Like I live in a really nice suburb, right. And diversity is probably not one of our strengths here. You know what I mean? And then you go and you play a blue collar town in the middle of PA. Like those kids are going to be, they're tough. Like this might, you know, this might be a little, uh, what's the word? Uh, stereotypical, but like, there's a lot of truth in that, right? Cause if you have a, a huge collection of kids who have had everything handed to them, they never have to work for anything, you know, they, they can, they can be uh, traditionally soft, but I've also seen yeah. people who come from like incredible means, uh, who are incredibly hard workers. And because that yeah. work ethic was taught to them and it was expected. Yep. Right. And so it's like, it's always about achieving, I'm going to say a level of excellence, but I think, you know, for me, it's like, look, I, I don't want my kids to suffer. I, I don't want them to go through trying times. Right. And I don't think that that's required to create a great person, but like, I'll be damned if they're not going to know that the expectation is like hard work is how you get there. Right. And so I guess that, yep. that's kind of my thought is to like, 
how I'm going to try and approach it. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I'm always interested, uh, how other, you know, people who have found success in their life, you know, think about that. Yeah. So I think that the thing about it is to me is you want to, you want to instill that courage in your children mm. to be willing to step in, to paraphrase a, a familiar quote here, but be willing to step into the arena, yeah. um, and, and fail falling forward. Um, that's, that's the real challenge. I think for people that don't have, and, and, it, and it exists in any environment. It's just that we focus on the people who have the, who succeed. Like if you look at anybody that comes from an area that has like just visible adversity, you know, uh, and you see the people that come out of it, you look at them and you're like, man, that is, a, that's an amazing success story. Absolutely. Right. And for every one of those, there's 5,000 others that didn't make it. Yeah. I think that's a great point and, too. And, and the flip side of that is coming from, uh, it's not quite as extreme when you don't have those kinds of that kind of environmental challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but you're absolutely right. Instilling the work ethic is incredibly important, but the courage to, to step forward, not because they have to, but because they want to yeah. may actually set them up for greater success than, than, than not. Because I'll, at some point, um, the, the desire, you know, you can, you can force desire because you have to, God, you know, I've got to, I have to eat today. Yeah. And, 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 uh, when you can, when you can teach kids or show kids, Hey, look, you're going to eat today, but you need to do this work. And they start to appreciate that love for the work, the love for the process. Mm. Um, and that, that, uh, have that courage to be willing to put themselves out there and always seek continual improvement, no matter what it is that they're pursuing. I think that's when that's, that's what the ultimate goal with, with, uh, with my kids is, you know, I want to be there to, to help prevent the catastrophic, uh, from happening, but I want to let them fall, learn their own lessons yeah. and, and ultimately say, you need to get back up and, and go forward. Yeah. Um, because that's the only option you have. And that's sometimes the only victory you have, um, in life is, is that, that ability to get back up from your failures. Yeah. I love that. And I think about it all the time. Like I, I want my kids to be resilient because to your point, no matter your circumstance, there's adversity coming. It might be a different degree, but whatever level you're at, like it, it can feel just as, just as strong. Um, so I, I think about the resiliency piece all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe we can transition a little bit talking about, uh, you know, as you're wrapping up college, well, and actually just a, you guys, you guys ended up having a pretty darn good football team at Dartmouth. We did. Yeah. We ended up uh, going undefeated my senior year and winning the championship, but, uh, that was, that was great. Unfortunately, I got hurt, um, with uh, three games left in the season and missed the last three games of that season. Oh. Um, I wish I could say it was on the field, but it was also because I like to challenge this whole nature of notion of what's acceptable social behavior off the field uh, through college. Um, it was a hard lesson to learn and a big price to pay for it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yep. Got a couple of those experiences as well. Um, yeah. But they make us who we are. So, you know, you said you had aspirations to be a pro football player and, mm-hmm. you know, knowing where you end up, right. You, you become pretty, pretty good. I think is a conservative way of saying how, how elite you were at the shot put. Um, at, at what point, you know, 
did you make a decision as to as to which path you wanted to try and go down? Was it a conscious choice or was it, mm. you know, there was there was greater opportunities in one avenue than the other? Yeah. So it's, it was a bit of both. Um, I I would say that some of it was, uh, again, by just by circumstance, uh, and the other was, was, was maybe intentional. I think by the time my senior year had come around, like, and I I really ended up continuing to play football through college, uh, because of the commitment that I'd made to the team and, and, uh, you know, some of this desire to, to, to please my father, I think, although he would say that was ridiculous. Um, Hmm. I had my freshman year in football, just a quick segue as I had like six bad concussions and today they probably would have uh-huh. never let me play past the first one. But, uh, but back then I remember having, well, or don't remember having, um, you know, playing in a game, uh, at Yale and literally having amnesia for the next 24 hours, uh, and going in for uh, Monday and they said, how are you feeling today? And I said, I'm, I'm okay. And they said, well, okay, take it easy today and we'll get you back into practice tomorrow. Um, and that was just sort of the gist of it. And it really shook me. Oh, it, it shook me to the core. Uh, that was the time when, when uh, Troy Aikman and all the NFL guys were talking about the, 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 the issues with concussions. And so I was scared to death and, and wish I'd been more courageous back then and stepped forward and said, I, I have a real issue. I nearly failed out of school my freshman fall as a result of it. Oh yeah. Uh, it challenged, it challenged my ability to do simple math. I could, I, I, I could process a lot of things, but if you, if you told me how to take 10 away from 20, I, I'd have a lot of, I'd have some issues there. I mean, I remember I had um, one, not that I had that many, um, but I had a couple bad ones and I had one where I, just, I couldn't have the lights on. I couldn't yeah. read. I couldn't, I could get, I couldn't get to the end of the second sentence or remember what the first one was. Like if you've never had one, I, you know, whoever's, it, I mean, it is, it's scary. Cause you're like, Whoa, I've never really yeah, experienced well, not having my, mental faculties before when when you wake up one morning uh and and you're you're covered in urine that's another thing too it's it's a pretty scary subject it's a pretty scary thing and it's something that you can't really talk about you certainly like as an 18 year old i wasn't equipped to talk about it well Um, no one was talking about it no one was talking about when i was playing really i mean you know they were starting to but um no it's still i mean i i look at what we were doing then and I don't think people were being intentionally, um, oh, what's the word? I don't, I, I don't think people were being intentionally careless. I just think people just didn't understand players included, like the magnitude of what those things can do. So you're like, ah, oh, I'm tough. I'll, I'll play through it. Everyone else. Yeah. I think there was probably some more research that we weren't privy to at the time, but nobody was really paying attention to the research. I think you're so, probably right as well. Um, it was still, yeah, anyway. Um, but, uh, so my senior year came around and, and I pretty much finished off my, my, my football season out of obligations to like a sense of obligation to my teammates and, and such. And, and, um, my college coach had been telling me from the time I got there, his name's Carl Wallen. He'd say, Adam, you really have a gift. There's something there. You do something different that I've never seen before. And he'd been involved for 30 years. And I don't know how many times he said it, but as you know, the nature of a coach is you have to repeat yourself over and over again until finally that message sinks in. As I tell coaches all the time, it's not that your kids are stupid. Uh, maybe they are, but they're just not ready to listen to you. Uh, yet. Yeah. They're just not ready to hear it. 
So the secret to being a great coach is always waiting for that moment when the kid actually hears you. And he probably said this, I don't know, maybe 500 times over the course of my uh, college career. Mm. Uh, and then in this, the sometime in the fall, I mean, it was actually the spring of, of my senior year. Uh, I'd been jacking around socially and, and he called me into his office and said, Adam, you really have a talent. You need to stop this stuff. Yeah. And, um, I said, okay, I was going through corporate recruiting at the time, which as you know, coming from Princeton is, is, is a pretty big deal in the Ivies. And yeah, if, uh, if, you're, if you're one of those too. kids that the corporation wants. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I had that, that perfect balance of athleticism and, and minimum threshold of academic qualifications. All about minimum thresholds. <laughs> so, so, um, at least I was getting a lot of first round interviews. I probably screwed it up more often than not. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when they started asking questions about number of potholes or whatever, I just didn't have patience for that crap. Yeah. And, um, but I was in a, I was in a final round interview with a consulting firm at the, towards the middle of the spring. And uh, I remember walking in, it was a death time, death slot for, for final round interviews at like four o'clock in the afternoon on Friday or something like that. I think they in stuck, the they stuck right. all the people that, it, yeah, <laughs> it's like the worst possible time. Right. So I, I, I go in there and this, this is in 1997. And so it really, it doesn't predate email, but it predates the convenience of email. Hmm. So um, it was still much like, like waiting at a mailbox. You'd, see, you'd have to sit there and wait for that email to come in. And all of a sudden, boom, it hit and it'd take five minutes for it to download anyway. And, but uh, the guy was, the guy that was interviewing me uh, was clearly distracted by something going on back at work, was reading through an email that he just received, was trying to call in and I literally walked in and said, hello. We sat down and I was waiting for about two minutes while he finished up a call. And I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I had every intent of completing that interview and, and then making a decision after, at the, at the back end of that conversation uh, to go to New York and do a consulting or banking job or trading job, whichever one I wanted. Right. Uh, which I wouldn't received. And um, I was sitting there for like two minutes while I was finishing up his call. And I said, uh, huh, I don't want to be here. And I looked at, and this, this whole conversation with my college coach, these conversations over the years kind of mounted up and I was like, wow. And so he got off his call and I looked him over, I looked at him and said, hi, uh, I want to say thank you for taking the time to meet with me. Uh, you're clearly distracted. I'll be very honest uh, and respectful of your time. I don't really want to be here. Um, I said, thank you very much. I shook his hand and I, I, I got up and I walked out. Awesome. And I went straight to my college coach's track coach's office and said, so I have a gift. You keep saying, how does this work? Hmm. And we started setting up a game plan for training for the 2000 Olympics at that moment. That's awesome. And what, and what, what about what, about what year would this be? That was 1997. Okay. See, I love, I love that because one of the things I'm finding, like, um, we just actually, we just had one with my buddy Kareem, who is uh, an Olympic hopeful himself. And I mean, he had been out of basketball for three years, working at a public radio station, just gotten promoted to hosting his own radio show and just had this feeling. He was like, man, he was like, I thought this is what I wanted. He's like, but I, I, like, I don't want to be here. He's like, I, I have more in the tank. And, uh, it sounds like, I don't want to jump ahead, but like you took a similar risk or bet rather like on yourself 
that probably at the time didn't look like the logical safe choice. Is that fair to so, say? Do you, remember, <laughs> yeah. do you remember that? Do you remember me saying I, I didn't want to go to a school that had athletic scholarships for a reason? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the downside of that is paying for a school like Dartmouth. Um, <laughs> and, and so I remember calling my, my parents uh, and having this conversation with my mom and dad and saying, look, um, just done my last corporate recruiting interview. Great. Uh, how'd it go? Mm-hmm. Um, it was good. Went well. Um, do you think you get the job? I said, no, I don't think so. Um, and I've got to talk to you about something else. (laughs) (laughs) I know that y'all just spent whatever it was on Dartmouth, $200,000 or whatever it is for me to come to school here. Uh, And I know I turned down a lot of athletic scholarships to do that, but, uh, I want to train for the 2000 Olympics. And to do that, I'm going to move out to California and train with a coach at Stanford. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do for work yet. <laughs> and yeah. How was how, so, that received? <laughs> my dad started laughing. Okay. And he said something like, uh, in, in tongue in cheek, I think he said something like, you jerk. Um <laughs> And he said, well, we'll support, they both said, well, we'll support you in any way possible. We understand that this is a short term, you know, ambition here or opportunity. So they all understood like, and this is at some level as a parent, this is, this is the opportunity I want to provide my, my kids is, um, look, if you've got a dream that, that, that you are convinced you can make a reality Mm. and I need to find a way to subsidize that dream then I want you to know that we are there for you. Yeah. And so I uh, ended up uh, packing up my car, uh, driving out to California. There's a funny side story is I had $200 cash to my name at the time. And I was, I was like, I had to, you know, driving from New Hampshire to, uh, to the Bay area is not a short drive. <laughs> And, and I did it in three and a half days okay. and I was driving like 15 or 17 hours every single day. Oh. And the, the end of the third day I ended up, I mean, I just couldn't go any farther mm. and I was beat and I ended up, uh, I, I stopped just outside of Reno because that was the only, that was like the last place I could get. Otherwise you go into this vast nowhere between oh, like Reno and in the Bay area. <clears throat> I've made that drive a couple of times. So I pull into Boomtown Casino, which is on the west side of okay. of, uh, of Reno, and um, I'm like, it's like 11:30, and I'd been on the road since like 4:30 that morning. Right. Um, literally, I, I think I started at Chicago, that just outside of Chicago that day. I mean, it was like a crazy long drive. A lot of time. Actually, for, it may have been in a, a lot of time for self reflection. Yeah. Oh, dude, I listened to War and Peace on tape. It was fantastic, um, and. Um, and so I literally actually did. I did listen to one did you really? tape across that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I get to, I get to Boomtown. Like I've got $200 cash. I need some food. Right. Um, and, uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I check into the hotel room and I go looking for food and I can't find food anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been to a casino in my life at that point. <laughs> And so I'm like, well, at least I can get them to bring me some food and drinks. If I go sit down at this blackjack table, I can, I know how to do yeah, that. Yeah. 
you know, I can play blackjack. Right. Yeah. So there's, so it's like getting close to 12 o'clock at night and, um, and I have $200 cash and, you know, wisely put all $200 into chips. That's what you do when you don't <laughs> anyway. Yep. And uh, courage is a theme here. Lose, lose that, lose my, lose to my last $5 oh. in about 25 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, what the crap? I'm like, oh, well, I'm going all in now. Yep. Uh, two and a half hours later, uh, I walk out with $1,700 in my name, somewhere around there. And that was how I paid for my first summer in California. That's amazing. Um, See, it's stories. So, my wife's always like, why can't you walk away from the blackjack table? And it's like, because I've, you don't understand. <laughs> Adam had $5 and walked away with 1700 <laughs> <laughs> at the time this is 1997 right what sort of return on your investment can you do with that time two and a half hours come on oh that's so, so awesome i love stories so like it, that and of course that seeded my degenerate gambler phase as well because i figured every time i'd step it down to the table I, that's, so that's exactly what would happen yep. yeah oh but, man well, it, it, but you know what? It's exactly what you were saying earlier and not about the blackjack, but like you taking this risk. It's like you want your kids to have the courage to do yeah. that. And I think about that all the time, too. And, you know, like, quite frankly, like there's some times in my life where like I wish I would have made the courageous choice and didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe I spent a couple of years just kind of like, oh, man, what was I doing? Like, why didn't I take that chance? Um so I, I love to hear that you you took that chance and like it sounds like wh whether you think about it in those terms at least when I hear it back it's like you know you want to inspire your kids to like make that same courageous like risk on themselves if and when they have the opportunity. I probably won't let it. I probably say that don't do that in the casino. But uh, <laughs> yeah, please, no conservative. In I've the since casino. learned that that was an anomaly. Like that was like that literally was like winning the lottery, yeah. and and you 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 just don't want to bet on that happening. Yep. So yep. Yeah, we're gonna do a whole other podcast on blackjack <laughs> and all the trials and tribulations. Um, okay, so you so you get out to San Francisco, and how are you doing on time? I know we're doing, we're over an hour. Are you good? Okay, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm awesome, good right awesome. Yeah, you let me know. I, I want to be respectful of your time. Let me know if you need to drop. Um, so you get out to San Francisco. So you're training, start training for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And in college, you, you were a national champion, correct? In the shot put. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like clearly you have what it takes. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I timed it well. You timed it well. Okay, well, tell me about that. What do, what do you mean you timed it well? So two years before, John Godina uh, set the national college record, which still stands, I believe, at 72 feet, two inches. Then the following year, it's Andy still, Bloom won. It with still like, stands? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's been a couple close, like really close outdoors, but uh, nobody's ever nobody's ever broken. I don't think. They may have broken. They, it may have happened recently, but That's insane. Uh, it stood for, for a long time. Wow. And um, – and then the next year, Andy Bloom won with like a throw of like 68 feet or something like that. And then uh, I ended up winning with 64 feet. And then the next year they, they won the next, the next year they, they moved, bumped back up to like 67 feet. So no kidding. I, minimum threshold, man. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's something. <laughs> right place, minimum so, threshold. Exactly. Oh, I got to do kids. Exactly. Listen up. Uh, so that, so that's incredible. Okay. So then like this idea then of, of training for the Olympics, like, did you feel like there actually was more risk than maybe I assumed in, in hearing your story? Like, d did you feel like there was obviously a lot of hard work ahead of you, but like, did you feel like you had a lot of ground to make up to get to that level? 
Yeah. I mean this, but you, you rationalize things differently, right? So, mm. uh, everybody else from the outside probably had a more honest perspective on it and, and more accurate perspective. But my perspective was this, is that I'd always been a multi-sport athlete right. and I never really focused on developing, um, my ability to throw. Yeah. Um, and I felt that I, I could compete with those guys, uh, and didn't just feel that way, like genuinely believed mm-hmm. it. Um, so, you know, but from other people outside looking in, I can tell you that all those people said, this is freaking nuts. What the hell are you doing? Hmm. And I'm like, well, the only thing I'm going to lose right now is three years. Okay. So I just, look, I just looked at it like this, like for the next three years of my life, I'm going to focus on training for the 2000 Olympics. And if I make it fantastic. And if I don't, I've got a story to tell people. And says, look, I delayed my college career or delayed my post-collegiate professional career so that I could pursue. And so I just thought of it as like, look, there's no, there's a no, it's a, it's a, it's, there's really no, no lose situation for me. Um, at some level you can spin it into a way where like, Hey, he's got the courage to dream big and bet the ranch and go for it. Um, and if it doesn't work out, he deals with those consequences and that's the way I was looking at it. So, um, I, I just, so was it, was it easy the whole time? No, like, God, you have doubts all the time. That's part of it. If you're not doubting yourself, then you're probably not doing big enough things. Mm. Um, I hate the term dream. I hate okay. it. Dreams are figments of your imagination. Yeah. You know? Um, so what, what do you think? I, how I, do you, how do you, um, position it instead? Um, so, you know, is, it's is funny. it about, I, is it about a, goals? Yes. I mean, at, at some level, um, I had, a, I came up with a term a couple of years ago cause people always talk about Olympic hopeful Yeah, and I don't think that's what okay. it is. Hopes and dreams are figments of the imaginations. They can seed hmm. a thought, but they don't force you to take action hmm. on it. And so what I always, what I always think about is like, what's the difference between men and women of action and men and women of thought? Well, it's, it's faith. You've got to have that resolve that you can push through yeah. this. And sometimes that's a big leap of faith. So I, I and not, not to get spiritual no, or, or, or religious yeah. or anything like that, but I've always, I have since changed my, my nomenclature from Olympic hopeful, uh, to Olympic faithful mm-hmm. because it's hope, hope of, you know, faith is hope put into action, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've found is that if i set a, a, a goal, uh, an objective. Um, and it means the right thing to me. Like my desire is great enough to achieve it. I can move heaven and earth yeah. to get there. And, and that's not something that I can do if all I do is hope mm-hmm. for it. I've got to put that into action. You see this all the time. Uh, I mean, with, with people, you know, God, like there's a lot of hopeful action, hopeful things that people do, like going to buy a lottery ticket, mm-hmm. That's hope. Yeah. That's, that's the worst form of it. That's desperation, yeah. right? Um, look, I say that as someone who likes to buy lottery tickets, but that's besides Damn the point. Man. There's a calculator. Yeah. When it goes over $160 million, I know that spending $1 is actually, on that is actually mathematically yeah. worth it. So, um, I'm with you. Yeah. But um, yeah. So there you go. Um, so, so, but my, my point is, I guess my point is like at, at that point, I was naive, ignorant, uh, and passionate enough to, to put my hope into action and, and become a faithful person. So people would ask me, what am I doing? I'm, I'm training for the 2000 Olympics. Well, how good are you? Well, they take the top three in the world. 
or take the top three from the United States, what rank are you? About number nine. Uh, how hard is it to get into the top three? Well, I've got to improve about eight feet to do that. <laughs> is that a lot? Yes. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, don't, you can't let your, your, your dreams don't need to blind you from the truth either. So I just confronted that every single day and I'd look at ways to, to spin it the other way. Like, and people are like, well, aren't you kind of small for a shot putter? Yes. Mm-hmm but I'm strong and athletic and I believe I can do more. Yeah. Why? Because I've seen it in myself. Yeah. And you know, I can't tell you how many people ask me why I was doing this, why I was doing this or, or said, you're not good mm-hmm. enough. Um, and if you, if you, if you base your actions off what people, and then you got to have some dose of reality every now and then, but if you base your, base yeah. your actions in your dreams, if you will, the bigger goals that you set for yourself off of what people, other people tell you, you can and can't do. You're never going to achieve. You're destined to just do a life of mediocrity. That's just what it is. Like here you are because this is where society wants you. But if you want to be an overachiever right here, you look at across any field out there and I don't care if it's athletics, academics, Mm -hmm. professional, for-profit, non-profit, the people that are in the top 1%, they may have had that opportunity because of their birthright, mm-hmm. but they are not staying there. I completely of, agree. So, you know, you, you've got to, you, you can't make the excuses or listen to those people that then bring you back down to where this is. Because the one thing I've learned about this culture is that while we love to see that outlier break out, we also love to see them fall from grace. And we hate, we have, there's just a sense of jealousy, this collective jealousy or envy or or, or it's a negative thing that says, no, this is where everybody yeah. belongs. And if you're better, if you go above this level, you know, it's because you work the system, you cheated. It's not because you, cause I work hard and this is right. where I'm at. No, screw yeah. that. Um, so uh, man, no, anyway. I completely agree. And I remember even, um, not to make this about my own college career, but like, you know, I had a bunch of, there were PAC 12 schools coming to my high school. And I remember it was my senior year and uh, I think Washington state had just come or something. And a buddy of mine was in gym class at the time, saw the coach and he walks over to me in the next period. He's like, Hey, I just saw Washington state was here. I was like, Oh, it's awesome. I was like, it's great. He's like, but you're not really that good. Are you? He's like, you're not, you're not actually that good enough to go play there. Are you? And I was like, yeah, dude, I fucking am. Like, like, what do you, you know what I mean? But I just, I, that was one of my, not my first, but like, it's a lasting experience of like, there's very few people who will see that and be genuinely excited for you and like try and help further you along towards that achievement. There's a lot of people will be like, oh man, if someone's about to do something special and like, it makes me uncomfortable with the level that I'm at currently. And mm-hmm. people, you're right. Like you, you got to like double down on yourself. And uh, that's what I'm hearing from you. And I love yeah. it. Well, when you see someone succeed that you see as a mm-hmm. peer and you look at them and you say, what does he have that I don't have? It's only the intangibles. Hmm. There's no other excuse that you can make. So you, you look at it and you say, oh, well, I could have done that if I wanted to. Right. And, and that's, a, that's a really bad place to, to live. Um, I said, you know, we, we, we set up guardrails and, and I tell people that if you really want to live life, you got to get out on the edge of the guardrail. Hmm. You don't want to go too far over because that's catastrophic, right? But you, you, nothing really great in life happens 
straight down the center. It's it's always on the periphery. So you've got to be pushing out and widening out those guardrails yeah. all the time. And and if you if and you know this as well as I do, but like how many people so this is the interesting thing. So I'm I've been out of college now for a long time, to over twenty years. And I had these conversations with guys that on every other metric uh, that most people would evaluate are, are some of the most successful people on the planet. You know, their net worth is in the whatever yeah. you want to put a number on it, literally as, as higher than you can yeah. count. Um, and, and they leave these, they're captains of industry and they have these public, you know, all this stuff. And you ask them what they want to do and, and, you know, in their forties now, and this is part of like, you know, sort of reflective of midlife crisis age, but they want to do what they couldn't do when they were 20 hmm. and 22. They want to, they want to relive that, that ability to, to go out and compete or go out and whatever there's And now they're in a position when they can do it because there's nothing. Um, and, um, it's always, so it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I had this one conversation and I'll never forget it. Um, I was at a buddy of mine's wedding and we were in the car driving where it's a beautiful wedding. And, um, in California, oh gosh, where was it exactly? San Luis Obispo. Oh, yeah. uh, and we were out in the, um, we we're actually in the mountains, uh, inland from there on this beautiful ranch. And we're driving back and I've, I've got, literally, it's like a, you know, one guy had started a biotech company. The other one was a uh, top salesperson for a big tech company. And the other one was um, a commercial real estate developer in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Vail. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the 2016 Olympics. I think it was. It's quite, uh, that's it was quite a car. Sorry. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're still so a it's, gold it's, medalist. It's, it's just like, geez. It's, it's a bad <laughs> joke, right? So well, I wasn't an Olympic gold medalist at this oh. time. This was in 2012 before the Olympics. Oh, okay. and, or, and I said, um, they were asking what I was going to do. I said, guys, like, I've got a job offer that it really checks a lot of boxes at the time. And uh, if it pans out, I'm, I'm probably going to take it. And they were like, Oh man, you can't do that. You're so close. I mean, you're the number, still the number one thrower in the world. And you got this opportunity to go to 2012 and we'd do that if we were in, I said, guys, you know, you wouldn't. Hmm. And, and they're like, yeah, we definitely would. And I'm looking around this car and I said, okay, guys, let's just have this real conversation. Cause you're talking to me about my, you know, challenging my commitment was where they were going. I said, first of all, I've accomplished everything I need to in this yeah. sport. Uh, second of all, I've sacrificed a lot to do it. And those sacrifices, I don't think anything about, but it's, it's financial stability for my family. It's my post athletic career, which is probably going to last longer than my athletic mm-hmm. career. I hope. Um, and, and some of these other things I said, so I've got to look for the opportunity that I, that, that I can get, that I can go on to from here. And they said, well, if we were in your situation, we double down for one more year. And I looked at him and I said, guys, look, I have a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you a question. If you want to answer this honestly, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. So how much money did you make last month? And they all kind of went quiet. (laughs) I said, I made $32,000 last year because I got hurt at the exact wrong time. And I'm okay gambling and risking it all when I'm the one that has to pay Mm -hmm. the price. I've done it multiple times throughout my whole career. And on balance, it's worked out okay. But I can't ask my wife and kids to risk that kind of, to take those kinds of risks year after year after year after year when the payout is not like the only time you actually have an opportunity to to monetize this career in any meaningful way happens once every four years. Mm -hmm. 
and is still only a it's it, it's still even if you win it's it's not going to be something like you're playing baseball or football or basketball where you sign this you know 12 million dollar a year contract right. it's 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 strictly a labor of love and as long as i focus on that i can do that but at some point the dollars and cents of this have to right. add up and i'm getting to the point now where those dollars and cents are flipping the perspective mm. So, um, it was a hard thing for me to go through because for the balance of my career, like I, when I went from a amateur to a professional and I was doing this really full time, uh, I was focusing on the wrong things. I started evaluating my worth as based off how much money I was making relative to other athletes in my sport. And, and that was really, really hard. Um, the, and, and I was, I felt like I was a mile wide and an inch deep. I started focusing on like, okay, well, this is what I need. This is best for my career. It's best for my career. And I said, screw it. I said, the career here, career opportunity here is not about how much money I make, because if I wanted to do that, I would have gone and played professional right. football. Um, you know, even just being on a travel squad and, and not playing at all was still going to be more financially worthwhile than, than throwing yeah. a shot put. Uh, so this was strictly because I wanted to do it and I love to do it. And we talked about this briefly. It's like, there's two different motivators. There's angels and demons. I, I associate that differentiate between them. Angels is, is, is they motivate from a place of love and demons. They motivate from a negative place. Anger, oh, yeah. right? And, and, and both can be very influential in your ability to conquer challenge and attack them and go and go and motivate you. Right. And, and so I, I, um, I realized as I started focusing on money that like none of the, neither of those motivators were, were in the, in these two categories. Like money was just didn't really motivate me because the money wasn't enough, I guess. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the thing that motivated me mm -hmm. to do this. So I had to find a deeper reason. So 2004 happens, uh, 2004 Olympics. I actually got silver at the time in a tie break. We can come back to this and I know we're running long. I so can, I, 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 I no, I can go that. all day. I, I want to be, as long as you're good, I'm, I'm, let's keep going. This is so interesting. <laughs> I'm good. So, so what ended up happening after the 2004 Olympics is, was my sponsor basically said to me, um, you're old and we don't value you. Uh, are you even 30 by this point yet? Uh, 2004, I, I just, I was, uh, well, yeah, I was 29 <laughs> at the time. You're old. Um, so, yeah. So, and, and it didn't say it, it got personal yeah. real quick. And, and so what ended up happening was the money that I made from the sport, at least from the institutional side of the sport was, was removed. Um, and the only reason for me to do this was a personal yeah. challenge. And this is right and, after 2004. And so I Wow. Right after 2004. And so every single day, like I woke up with such anger. I was angry, hmm. angry. And I mean, like I was a miserable person to be around, but damn it, if I didn't have the greatest workouts ever, because anger is a, it's a short, it's for me, it's a short term emotion. I can't, it's a very powerful, probably the most powerful motivator you'll ever yeah. have. But it's, for me, it's a short term emotion. If it becomes a long term thing, you become a really bad yeah. person. And, and so, but, but my anger shifted at some point, like in turn, instead of like, screw those people, I'm doing this because of them out of spite and anger and frustration right. and all that stuff and reminded me why I was doing this in the first place, which is because I just love the personal challenge. Mm. And when that shift happened, when that shift happened, I never had an issue with motivation or valuing my, my own personal self-worth or anything like that. It was like, I'm doing what I want to do and what I love yeah. to do. And damn it, if I do it well enough, the 
external rewards that I receive are going to be enough for me to survive and yeah. be happy. And, 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 and it wasn't until later when, you know, when you're not winning championships uh, on a regular basis, then the finances start to play the, 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 the limiting yeah. factor. But I was like, I, it, it was, it was, it, it was the greatest thing that ever yeah. happened to me um, was, was reminding me about what's, what's the strongest motivator for me and, and what, why I really do and that, this, which is those internal motivations. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point that because some people, I don't know. I don't even know if people argue about this, but it's important to differentiate that like anger is a powerful motivator, right? Like that chip on your shoulder can take you a long way. Um, But I love, I love the thought of it as like, look, it's got to be short term because if you let that be your only consistent driving force to your point, like it's, it's negativity driving you. And like that can't help kind of permeate out to the other aspects of your life and kind of like who you are as a person. Um, you know, so I love that, like, you can even like just pinpoint. So, uh, you know, uh, matter of factly, like it, there was a switch that took place that was able to like carry you through. I mean, how, how much, how 2004 and you can, you, you competed up until 2012, right? That's another eight mm-hmm. years. Like that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, oh man. So that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And when, when that, when that motivation clicks or when that, when that, um, you just revel in all the moments that mm. you get after that. Um, and it really is true. Like every time I was out there competing, you can never find me happier. Like it's just, it was just, or training mm-hmm. even that was, that, that became, you know, that's what I needed every day to, to, to really yeah. fulfill myself. And, um, with the results, like, you know, in the Olympic sports, uh, Pierre de Coubertin, um, who was the founder of the modern Olympics, uh, stressed the importance of the struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, those times in between Olympic games or competitions when nobody's watching and, and over the end result. Uh, and to me, I think this is a message that uh, has really resonated through me throughout my whole career and one that I hope to continue to espouse as I go forward. It's, it's just that the results that you earn, um, they don't happen when everybody's watching all the time. And the only victories that you're really guaranteed are those little victories along mm. the way. You woke up this morning, you were able to put your shoes on, you were able to kiss your kids, you were able all those things that we take for granted as part of our daily process. Yeah. Like, but the ability to adhere to that process over a long period of time is what yields the big results when everybody is at, is watching. And if you're lucky enough, if you're lucky, mm-hmm. this is where chance comes into play. The stars will align. You put in all the right work and you show up on the moment when it really matters and you're able to perform at a level that gives you the big professional public yeah. award. But uh, unbalanced, like, you know, the least gratifying times of my whole career are the, are, are, or were, were the major championships. Um, and, and I know that sounds weird, but like there's so much pageantry involved and you do those for everybody else. Uh, that's just the capstone to the, that's the proof that you have to hold up. And we've been, we're in the process of moving, so I don't have anything out right now, but, um, but like, those are the things that you show to validate that you, you were actually good ones. Um, (laughs) you know, but to me, like most of my medals have always been kept in my sock drawer. Yeah. Um, 
because that's not why I did it. I mean, that may have been the first reason why I took a step in that direction, but um, you don't get those opportunities and uh, to, they don't, they don't happen every day. And, and, and like money, it's never enough. If, yeah. you, if you only live for those moments, God, man, it only happens once every four years. So you're just not going to live ever. Yeah. Um, at least not in my sport. So, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's that thought again of like the, the, you know, this is, I'm sure a cliche, which I'll somehow find a way to butcher, but like this idea that like the process, uh, you know, or it's the journey or trust the process, right? Like it, it's the process that you really need to be in love with long-term, uh, to, to continue to like have success at a high level. Um, and that's something that I think I do try and think about a lot. So, you know, I've, I've kind of ramped back up my own athletic training in, over the last two, three years, and we don't need to go into that. But I did it because I was like, man, like I just used to love doing this. Like I was, I was happier when I did it. I felt better. I had more confidence. I felt like that bled over to all these other parts of my life where I thought clear, you know, I just, there's all these positive benefits. Like, no, I'm not in the NFL right now, but like, why does that have to stop me from doing something that I loved and that I know made me an overall better person? Um, so in, in my mm -hmm. own life, you know, right now, even though I'm not really competing in anything, I do this decathlon once a year, which is a fantastic cause, but I, it's for the process. Like, I do it because it makes me feel fulfilled on a daily level. I enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I know I've talked about my kids a lot on this podcast, but I also do think there's a huge benefit in letting your kids see you, see you demonstrate work ethic and what it looks like to work hard and be passionate about something. And mm -hmm. that I, I think about that all the time. Um, I try and keep them around when I'm doing my gym workouts when I can, because I think it's important for them to see it. But yeah, it's, it's falling in love with the process. Uh, I think once you make that shift, you're so much more happy, fulfilled, right? So what your expectations are yeah. less, right? What's what's my expectation for today? My expectation my expectation for today is the grind. Yeah. And if I do really well, I'm gonna be stronger. I may not be able to measure it today, yeah. but at some point in the future, the day of reckoning is gonna happen and I'm gonna be right. ready for it. Um and in Maybe that's the structure. That's the thing that we love about sports, right? Is it gives us that structure to, to, to have that day mm -hmm. of reckoning. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we touched on the 2004 Olympics and I definitely, I, I know it's a crazy story, so I will let you tell that. But one of the things I want to ask you, because, you know, world championships, uh, Olympic finals, right? Like in an individual sport, I, I can't even imagine what that type of pressure is like, C can you describe a little bit? And I, I think here's why I'm asking. I'll tell you why I'm asking before I ask a question, right? Everyone in their own life has moments that at that time feels like a really big moment. Like it, it's critical for some reason, right? And anxiety comes in stress, uh, nerves, right? Like you've done it at, at the, the pinnacle of the athletic level, you know, like what was your mindset like or what did you do to get yourself in a, a state where you were ready, you know, to give like a peak performance? It's, I mean, it's all about preparation. Hmm. Um, you know, the first time you go to the next level, there's this thought that there's something different about it. Um, the unknowns and I'll be honest. And I know people say this all the time. There's nothing different 
about stepping into the ring, stepping onto the playing field in the Super Bowl or Olympic Games as there is, you know, what you do on a daily hmm. basis. Maybe the stakes are a little bit higher, but that's all external. Yeah. Um, it's the, the, the externalities of everything are different. Uh, the context is a little bit different, but once you're in the moment, uh, it's the same thing. And I think what a lot of people don't do outside of sports is, is prepare for that mentally. Mm. <clears throat> so, and I, and I referenced this earlier on, but I was that weird kid that in eighth grade read, you know, sports psychology yeah. books. Um, and we focus on the physical effort and the physical preparation, but really at the next level, it's who can prepare for it the best mentally. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I found was when I'm, and it's easier to do in sports because you can really get a visual, like a really good visual of what your competitive environment's going to yeah. look like, uh, regardless of where it's at. And, and, but I spent a lot of time actually doing the mental preparation and the visualization and, and taking another step far, far further with, with, um, uh, different forms of sports hypnotherapy and, oh, and interesting. Uh, Oh yeah. I, I was, I was, I was, I told you I was a weird kid like that. Um, I just, to me, like the physical differences, I mean, okay. Most of the guys I competed against were physically larger, but there's nothing I could do to change about that. Like I, that is what it is. Um, but what I could always change was my mindset, uh, and my approach to every competition. Uh, the first Olympics I went to in 2000, you know, I think I was probably young and stupid enough to not necessarily appreciate the uh, gravity of the moment. So I was actually able to execute it a little bit better, uh, not by any, uh, just more out of, out of sheer circumstance than, than, than intent. Um, but, uh, but I think the, um, the big thing that people lack, uh, in, in their day-to-day -day challenges is the ability to sit down and prepare mentally for the challenges that lay ahead. There's an escalating like degree of intensity, mm -hmm. right? So if you're doing entry level work at a job and you you have like, say a big presentation, whatever that sort of benchmark yeah. thing is, you spend all this time preparing the information, but how much time do you spend preparing the presentation? Mm -hmm. And so with, with sports, you know, I spent a lot of time preparing my body. Uh, but I was also that kid that also spent a lot of time preparing for the actual competition. And there's a difference between that. So you have to be able to walk through every, if, if for me, because I do suffer from, from probably from some sort of performance anxieties and fears and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I have to prepare that way. Otherwise I'll just get too worked up and I won't be effective. Yeah. So it starts months out where I start uh, visualizing the process of like what it takes to be there. And then I develop a character of, of who is that championship, like who's my superhuman version yeah. of myself. It sounds all no, kind of I'll, 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 I'll jump but, in later, but I'll, I'm super interested in this. And but yeah, go on, please. So, I mean, my process for it was developing a character uh, and then over time adding so much detail to that character that eventually I stepped into that character's shoes. And by the time I got to the championship yeah. event, I could trigger that character like that. Uh, and, and I was that person. And that's how I would get into the zone, if you will. And, and people were like, well, how do you do that? How do you maintain this level of intensity when you compete? Yeah. I'm like, I prepare for it. And it's the same thing when you're doing, it's harder to do, I think, outside of sports because you don't have those types of moments mm -hmm. like that. But when you talk again, you know, shifting back to like 
professionals uh, outside of the sports sure. world. If you talk to like someone like a Steve Jobs type character back in, you know, obviously before yeah. the past, I would be willing to bet he spent a ton of time developing and 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 refining and 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 looking at every single aspect of his annual uh, yeah. meetings presentation. Right. And I bet he drove people batshit crazy <laughs> with the level of detail that he would yeah. get into that. I'm going to step here and this is going to happen. I'm going to say this and I'm going to point this way and this is going right. to happen. That's what I would do. And people are like, well, isn't that overkill? I'm like, yeah, but the difference between winning and losing is, is less than a centimeter in a lot of oh, these yeah. competitions. So we're talking about this yeah. much. So if it gives me even just a little bit yep. more, then it's <laughs> worthwhile because those are the ones that really yeah. matter. And those are the ones you can't, like, you, you, it's. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, so this is something that I was introduced to in high school. Uh, do, do you know, oh, man, Moad Consulting, uh, John Jomad, man, I'll, I'll look it up. But now his, his son has taken over the business and he works with like Russell Wilson, Alabama. Like he's one of the premier um, sports psychologists in the country. And I've read about him a couple different times and I was just looking him up the other day and I put two and two together that his dad uh, lived in the Western Washington area. And he came and spoke at my school. I must've been a sophomore. And he gave us a speech on visualization. And I remember mm. being like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And I remember we played in the spring league basketball tournament up at Skagit Valley Community College for all those Western Washington people listening. And uh, I remember I was like, let me give this a shot. It's about a 45 minute drive from my house to the gym. I'm going to sit in the back and I'm just going to visualize. And I would do it every week. And I would visualize specific plays happening. You know, I'd be on the perimeter. I'd be playing defense and the point guard comes down and he goes to pass it to the guy on the wing. And I, I see it happen quick and I break on it and I tip it and I go in and I lay it up, whatever. And I was like, oh, let me just commit to this and try it. And I, I mean, sure enough, even in something as un unpredictable in a lot of ways as basketball, those moments would occur. And I would make the step quicker. I would break in on that mm -hmm. pass. Um, I would hit that three coming off the screen. like, And I was just blown away um, at like how just something like that could actually come to fruition. And I wish I would have done more of it in college. I did when I moved to running back. I would sit in my room and I would, I would visualize the play. I would visualize the linebacker coming into the hole and what I would do. Mm -hmm. but it's crazy because even in something as unpredictable, like I said, as those sports, I I've seen it for myself where those moments happen and you're able to act quicker. And I, and I imagine yeah. something like shot put where the parameters are a little bit more controlled, right? Like the ring's always the same size. The ball's always the same weight. Like I could just imagine how much you could get into that, like that vision you'd created. It's so cool. I love that. I love that you did that or to hear that, you know, you, you were doing that. Oh yeah. Um, what, yeah. what was like the sports hypnotherapy that you were talking about? Is that something you did in your, your later career yeah. too? And so, no, I started this, well, I guess it was later in some ways I started working with a really high level strength and conditioning coach, a guy named Charles Poliquin who passed away a few mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, but uh, a guy named Charles Poliquin in 2003. And he, so in life, you, you know, you reach a certain level of expertise and, and then you start looking around for new answers and everything around you is dark because you just don't know which direction to go to. Um, and, and so I met Charles and he was like this, this light giver, if you will. He, pointed at that light and said, Hey, look, 
this is how we're going to restructure your strength and conditioning. And by the way, it doesn't go, doesn't stop there. We have to work on your nutrition. Mm. And, and by the way, it doesn't stop there. You have to work on your sleep habits. And by the way, it doesn't stop here, there. We have to work on optimizing your, your, your brain, uh, which was actually offsetting some of the, uh, the, the damage that the concussions did. Mm. And by the way, we, we're not just going to stop there. We're going to go to mindset yeah. as well. And so he had this really holistic approach to, to how he helped develop me as an athlete um, in a much like there's no way it would have taken me, you know, generations to, to harness and, and learn and, and all this information that he had. He was just a wealth of <laughs> knowledge. Um, and for some reason, he, he really liked me yeah. as well. Uh, and and um, just basically said, look, I want to help you in this process. And so he started like, in, all, all, you know, when you're on the front, the frontier, the edge of, of what people say is conventional wisdom or, or knowledge, and you're starting to look for other things um, and, and really challenge uh, really convention, everything you do out there, people are going to criticize that stupid, yeah. dumb God, why would you do that? Um, and so Charles was, was that kind of crazy? And, um, and, and so sometimes you kind of had to reel him back a little bit, but, but uh, he introduced me to this guy who was a sports hypnotherapist who also has passed away. Uh, but um, the guy was, and I, I like certifiably batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> and, and so his, his name was Pete Siegel. Um, and uh, I met him on a trip. I would go out and train with Charles once a month out in Arizona and we'd do all sorts of testing and then he'd write up a new workout, give me a new nutrition plan. Uh, and then we worked through some other areas and I talked to him probably weekly, um, several times a week and he hooked me up with Pete. And so Pete <clears throat> had no lack of confidence. I will say that. Uh, and he would walk in and say, I can make you okay. better. And, you know, when you're looking for, you know, that much, when people say they can make you better, you at least like, you want to hear what they have to say. So well, this is what I do. It's NLP, so neuro-linguistic programming. We, I, I, I work with like sort of sports psychology, but sports psychology is a passive kind of thing. Uh, uh, Visualization is a little bit more active and NLP and the way that I implement um, uh, sports hypnosis or hypnosis is, is, is very active. I said, okay, let's try this. So, I'm, uh, the first sessions we did were over the phone and he'd say, I need you to find a place where, you know, if you've got a headset, wear a headset, so it's 2003. So we didn't have all these little, you know, right. great little plugins that we could do. And so I put my, put the phone on speaker, lay down on my bed and have had this, this guy who honestly, like he was shaved head or balding and in a beard. Um, and, and he kind of looked like Danny DeVito, uh, in terms of his body style, a little, a little more power. It's like yeah. stocky, yeah, 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 yeah. stocky, you know, power more like he definitely lifted Portly. worked out, but, um, yes. And, um, and so he, but and then he'd take you through this whole process and it would be, it would, it would literally be painting the picture of what your superhuman version of yourself would look like. Mm. And it was an iterative process in each one. And it always culminated with like you like yelling your keyword, um, that trigger word and, and locking it into that. And some, and, and then when you were working with him in person, there was a physical uh, touch. So there was a tactical response. So he'd tap you on the head or he'd, he'd slap you on the shoulder and, and, and you just be in this trance like state. And I am, I can, I can get into those states yeah. pretty easy. And uh, so this was something that really worked for me. 
And, um, but my wife thought I was batshit crazy. She would, she would be like, what the hell is going on in there? And then we do this in hotel rooms and I'd have to call down to the, uh, to the front desk and be like, look, I just want to uh, say, you're going to hear yelling and screaming from my room. <laughs> uh, everything is okay. <clears throat> um, please don't right, interrupt. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so whenever, like whenever I knew I was going to work with him and I was traveling, I would always, I was always request a, a hotel room that was as far away from the uh, elevator as possible. And hopefully on a corner because it would get so no loud. Um, and they have video of this, by the way, you can actually, I hate to even say it, but you okay. can YouTube it. Um, he, he put it on YouTube. He's like, you care if I put it on? Right. I don't care. Um, we'll this but, um, yeah, he had, a, he had, a, I mean, he would do all this stuff with like, sound as well he'd get this when he'd, he'd play this like like psychedelic sort of like uh, mix of like techno music you know all over the place and anyway it was and then it would it would peak and get anyway it was it was very choreographed yeah. and and um but it was effective uh I, I didn't work with him for a whole lot of years uh in a row but i worked with him for about uh 13 months leading up to the 2004 hmm. olympics and um and then a couple times uh, after that, but it taught me the process. We kept up um, for the rest of his life there, but um, it was, uh, I found ways to adapt that and, and put it into a context that I was more comfortable with on a regular, more regular basis. And then I could actually, you know, do on my right. own, which to me, sustainability is, is a big part of these treatments. But yeah, like uh, that, that's kind of how that whole thing worked. That's um, awesome. And, it, and I mean, if you talk about NLP back in like the early part of 2000, like you're basically only talking about like that weird sort of Tony Robbins kind of people, mm. right? Like, oh man, Ooh, you guys it's are a little weird. Are kind yeah. of cultish. So now it's a little bit more accepted and visualization and stuff like that is a little bit more accepted. And, and the, the active visualization is that some people refer to it as, is, is more accepted. And now you've got the mindset people and the mindfulness people and all mm. that stuff. So, but you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't yeah. the case. Um, and I remember like people be like, like my competitors be like, you're, you're weird, dude. I'm like, <laughs> but I'm did you see it. how far I threw it? <laughs> yeah. Give me a little of that weird. So, oh man. See, that's, that's awesome. Um, oh, I was just going to say something. That's okay. So, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. What, uh, what, what, what for you, right? And I know that we, we probably should wrap this up because I, I know there's, there's people trying to, trying to pull you out of the room and at it for a little while for you, you know, how, what excites you now? Like someone who's competed at the highest level multiple times, right? Like what's getting you excited today? Uh, whether it be from a fitness standpoint, whether it be from a professional standpoint, you know, like, like what is your process that you're currently in today? Oh, that's a great question. I wish I had a good answer for it. I'm still figuring yeah. it out. And I think that's, that's the whole thing right now is when you lose the structure of sports. And I think this is the one thing that the D10 did mm -hmm. really well, uh, is, is, is give people back some structure of sports, um, in, in a, in a purpose or, or not even a purpose, a framework yeah. to train. Uh, yeah, um, I totally agree with that. It, so, and, and so now it comes down to like, what do I really enjoy in life? Well, I love sports. I love developing kids. I love developing athletes of mm -hmm. all levels. Um, and I also still want to compete myself and I haven't figured out what, what, where I'm going to direct my competitive, uh, desires. Your, your uh, wife's probably hoping not very, MMA. 
I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, definitely not MMA. Look, I, I had this, I've had this great opportunity. I had this opportunity to do some uh, pad work with this guy. Who's a, I told you about him earlier, but he's a heavyweight champion, right. former heavyweight champion uh, in boxing. And I got into the ring with him and he was like, okay, just, you know, go ahead and do this. And I said, well, okay. And he's basically making fun of me, not in a nice way. He's like, Hey, like, don't worry about it. You're not, you're not going to hit me. Just throw, throw. I'm like, okay. Uh, and so we're going through this work and I'm hitting, you know, hitting, hitting. And I just started to laugh and and he said, what are you laughing at? I said, I'm almost a hundred percent certain that even if I really wanted to hit you, wouldn't be able to, it, it, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, you're pretty predictable. Um, but, um, yeah, he's like, yeah, I was the best in the world at this at one point. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's like people getting like big, strong guys saying they can throw the shot put far. Sure. Right. You can, you know, go for it. Um, no, but, um, definitely not MMA. I learned a long time ago. That's not where, while I enjoy, I enjoyed wrestling and all that stuff. I, I that's a hard way oh, to make man. a living. And I, I um, love, I love it. I love watching it, but yeah, so much respect for yeah. what those guys put themselves through. Yeah. My, 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 I think my next, uh, my next round will, will be something, uh, I'd probably be track and field based. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's something about track of the pure fundamentals of mm. sports, uh, running, jumping and throwing that I really enjoy. And, and maybe I'll never be a golfer, um, but I'd like to find something else that I could do, uh, with other people. Um, but I, at the end of the day too, I, I really enjoy it. Like when, again, my experiences with the D10, one of the things that, as you know, Dave does is, is work out with people on a regular basis. And, yeah. uh, I think that's, to me, that's one of the things that I really miss about working out with teams and things like that is, you know, it's not just the competitions that you build those relationships, it's the practices oh, yeah. that you go to. And your body just gets primed uh, for building relationships when when those endorphins are mm-hmm. kicking and and you're pushing yourself uh, you know through some sort of threshold yep. um, during the course of that workout. So uh, I think in the short term, I'm probably just going to have fun working out and, and meeting a bunch of people as I as I move to the move to my next uh, next gig here. But I think over the long term, I've got I'll have to find a way to to channel my own competitive interest yeah. in something. I just I'm just not quite yeah. there yet. No, I, I I can imagine. I mean, even just for myself, the transition from college to like professional uh, yeah, focus, the structure. Um, and it's like when you have it for me, I guess it was what, 23 years. Um, but you know, when you, it feels like your whole life has been building towards one objective and all of a sudden that objective is no longer really on the table. Kind of like, well, what do I do? And then we could have a whole show about like your identity being tied up as being an athlete or whatever you were. Um, but yeah, I sputtered for like three years, maybe longer in, in reality. Um, just trying to figure out like, what is that next thing that I'm going to go after with that same intensity? you know mm-hmm. um yeah so i i i well, i can't wait to see what you do next and uh i'm sure there will be no shortage of people in atlanta who are who are going to want to work out with you and learn from you in some capacity yeah i'm looking forward to it ken if you ever make it that way please don't hesitate uh this has been a I absolutely pleasure, will man. i absolutely will and uh, actually on that note for people who want to follow what you're doing um where should i mm-hmm. direct them uh, yeah. So there's two places. One, I'll be at the Lovett school in Atlanta, um, awesome. which I, I imagine that everything we may, I don't know what my email address will be there, but I'm sure okay. it's public, um, when it does happen. And then two, uh, you know, 
I'm on Instagram and I suppose Twitter, although I don't spend much time on Twitter okay. anymore. Uh, but Adam Nelson 5376 is my Instagram handle and only 5376 because I didn't know what Instagram was doing when I created the uh, account. <laughs> yeah. uh, you didn't know it'd follow ago. you forever. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I got you. Um, well, awesome. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes and that way people can catch up with what you're doing today. But uh, thank you, man. This has cool, been man. such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and we'll be in touch and maybe we'll get you back in the future. Sounds good, Ken. I appreciate you, man. Then, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, babe. Hi, Kenny. <laughs> Don't call me Kenny because now everyone's going to start calling me Kenny again. I worked very hard. Hi, Kenneth. To switch to Ken. <laughs> uh, but man, I had a lot of fun listening to this one back. Yeah. And you and I listened to it together. We were working out. <laughs> yes, we were. Just crushing it in the gym. We were just getting so jacked. <laughs> <laughs> like we do. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I literally, I walked away from this one and I was super motivated. Yeah. I was like ready to go. He's very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. He's just one of those people that like he's inspirational because he's accomplished an incredible amount. You know, like he's an Olympic gold medalist. Like that alone is just amazing. But he's also one of those people Mm -hmm. that just like you can kind of like hear the energy in their voice. Yeah. You know, like there's just some certain people that like kind of like have that magnetism. (laughs) For sure. Like if he, I was, you could f- tell he had that, like when you met him at the D10 and yeah. he was like, what would you call him? Your coach for a year? Yeah. Well, he was the judge, but yeah, he turns into like yeah. a motivational coach. It's, I think it's just yeah, so innate awesome. in his personality, you know, like he just wants people to be great. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> if he'd been my coach when I was like 14. <laughs> yeah, you would be, oh, you would be in the NFL. I would have ran through all. Yeah. Cause that's what was missing. Didn't have Adam. <laughs> Dang it. But how cool that he's going to be an athletic director Very at his cool. high school. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, you know, I don't I, I don't claim to know him that well, but I, I got to talk to him at the decathlon last year. I got to talk to him for a, a good period of time for this. And uh, just based on those interactions, I think those kids are going to be far better off having someone like that in their corner pulling for him. So pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's exciting. The world needs more people like that helping young kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in trying to, Pull out the takeaways. God, there was a lot there. Yeah. I even, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of quotes that I thought were awesome, but we're trying to make this session a little shorter, uh, especially as the <laughs> conversations go longer because, you know, people only have so much time. <laughs> especially in quarantine, you know? <laughs> especially in quarantine. What are they doing? Listen up, folks. <laughs> but no, there's so many good ones. So it's tough for me to choose. Um, but I think the, the one that I really want to start with is often people talk about like nature versus nurture, right? Like, oh, is Mm -hmm. someone this way because of their environment or were they just like born kind of, you know, with these gifts? And with him, when I kind of posed that that question, it was more a matter of like, it was a matter of determination, you know? Like there's some nature involved. There's like a minimum threshold that you have to have athletically to be great, as he said. But like beyond that, like the way you separate yourself is through like determination. Hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And I got that in spades from him. Oh, for sure. You mentioned something. Go ahead. Yeah. As I interrupt you. Go ahead. You mentioned something when we were were listening together just about like his confidence. Yeah. He was a cocky little guy. He was in (laughs) high school and college. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like for a young guy, that's impressive that he had that confidence in himself to be like, I'm, if you try to tell me I need to focus more on football and then I'm out of here. I know. Could you have done that? That's crazy. I wouldn't have done that. You know, well, maybe. I don't know. That's hard. Looking back, I did have moments where I did have to kind of assert myself and sometimes to my detriment, like everyone likes to look back and think like, no, but I had to do it and I made the right decision. Like sometimes like you make mistakes. I like pushed come to shove. Yes. I think I would have done it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did in some instances, but you're right. Like it, it's a very fine line. I think between what people perceive as like what could be arrogance mm-hmm. And what is like supreme confidence in yourself? Yeah. Well, that probably wasn't a good question for you because I think that you two are similar in a good number of ways. Mm. But for most, like young, because he wasn't really, really even a man then. Yeah. That would be very hard to do. Maybe 19. Yeah. No, I I agree. I agree. Um, But it's like, you know, when you talk to people who have accomplished something that like is kind of, you know... It, it really is like unique or you've really separated yourself from the pack in some way. Like you can't, you have to have that like kind of uh, almost arrogant belief in yourself that like you're capable of doing it. Arrogance is the wrong word. I, I choose to think it's like supreme confidence and to other people it can be perceived as like yeah arrogance because you know, we talked about on the show, like no one is going to push you along or believe in you to the extent that they're going to help propel you to greatness. Yeah. You got to do that for yourself. Yeah. Like you're going to face adversity all along the way. And on top of that, there's going to be people who are actually going to try and pull you back down because it literally makes them uncomfortable to see you achieving something while they feel like they might be standing still. Yeah, for sure. So I I thought that came through in spades and it's come through a lot in, in a lot of the conversations we've had with people have who accomplished something pretty incredible. Mm hmm. You know, there's almost, just, it's just, I, I think it's confidence. Yeah. So I thought that was great. And I think that's a big lesson for people too. Like, yeah. I hope our kids have that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you want them to be willing to take a risk and a bet on themselves, which is what I thought was so fun about his story. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, this wasn't one of my takeaways, but now that I think about it, you remember when he said that he made the decision in 97 to like forego a corporate job and train for the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Like 97, those Olympics weren't till 2000. Yeah. Three That's years three years training. Three years on the chance that you might not make the team. Yeah. It's crazy. Think about that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pretty cool. So the next one that I had is, uh, and that's actually, it dovetails off our last point there is your dreams don't need to blind you from the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, you need to have faith and a belief that you can accomplish something. But that also doesn't mean that like you can have your head so high in the sky that like you're unaware of your limitations or like areas where you need to improve. Yeah. You're looking at me like you just got something in the holster. No, I'm just thinking about Harper and how like (laughs) she has all these crazy dreams and I'm, Oh boy. Oh, mom bear's getting emotional. This is not a line I would ever tell her. You need to be more realistic. No, but I I think to actually achieve your dreams, you need to have a realistic understanding of where you need to get better. Yeah. Here's a good example. The kid who goes on American Idol, who goes to those first round of competitions and has gotten nothing other than like 
just sheer unbridled positive feedback that you are the best. Like, oh my God, you're so talented. You are so incredible. Are you talking about the ones that go and bomb? And they go and then like, they have no idea they're terrible. And like, yeah, this, why does that? Ha- that's crazy. I think it's, I think it's kind of this. Like, this is not where he intended this to go when he gave this, like, this, made this point, but here's where I'm taking it. It's like, you need to have some sort of realistic understanding of where you are. Yeah. Like, you need to believe that you can get to the pinnacle, but, like, to get there, like, you need to face some hard truths. Yeah. You know? And, like, look, American Idol, like, maybe those parents said, like, I appreciate, like, how hard you're working. I think you have some natural ability. Let's go out and get a coach who can help take you, like, the rest of the way. Because yeah. there's areas where you can get better. That's my thought. No, I agree with that. Dream on, Harper. <laughs> Dream on, Harper. Dream on, Harper. <laughs> You're going to be that astronaut, ballerina. <laughs> doctor. S- doctor, supermodel. I believe it. <laughs> we just got to help get you there. So that was that was really cool. I enjoyed that. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. When you put it that way, I do. Yeah. He also made a good point that, like, he doesn't like... Uh, the term hopeful. I know. Mm, and at first I was, I, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I was like, do tell, <laughs> but he made a good point. It's like, what did he say? Faithful, faithful, yeah. because that implies that like you have like a belief and you're willing to take action on it. Yeah. And that's what it requires. And I, that maybe that's a good way to round out that takeaway. Like you have to take action. Right. And I'll be honest, like at this point in my life, it's ringing true that it's like the having a hope or a dream of something that's going to get accomplished is like no longer enough. Like I'm at the point, like I need to start taking action on things in my own life. Yeah. And and that's something I want to pass to my kids. Yeah. You do a good job of that though. Well, thank you. I mean, we're here. Look at us here. We're recording the pod. Living your dream. (laughs) You hate it when I say pod. Okay. (laughs) And I am going to drill down to the last one. You interject if you had something else that you wanted to add, because we're going to try and keep this short. Okay. I loved his kind of visual of you got to live life out by the guardrails. I love that. That was my favorite thing he said. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you like about that one? Because it's, it was just like a very accurate description of people who go above and beyond, but like there's a point where you need to rein it in, Mm -hmm. but that was like a really fun visual yeah and i think it like it just kind of like feels accurate like everyone knows what it means to like play it safe yeah right so if if it's the road you're traveling on you have the guardrails on the outside like playing it safe is just staying in the middle not getting out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and what he said is like greatness doesn't happen staying in the middle greatness happens when you start like pushing it out towards the guardrails and taking some chances yeah. now he also said push it too far and it, it, there's a point it becomes catastrophic but like if you want to be great or you know maybe even it maybe not just even greatness you know, I, your mom would love that she would love that analogy why would she love that analogy she loves nascar oh, God. yes shout out mom and nascar uh she would love that but i'm also thinking like maybe it's not a matter of greatness you know i keep saying that Greatness almost implies that like you're the best among others. And I, that's not, it's almost like reaching your true potential, like finding out what you can really do, mm-hmm. you know? Cause there's so many areas where you can do this. It doesn't need to be a competition, but it's like, you got to get out of your comfort zone because yeah. otherwise like n- you're never going to know what you're really capable of unless you started pushing the limiter. Mm-hmm. 
I also really liked when he was talking about how he visualizes. Yeah. Things. Isn't that awesome? And, but I didn't realize that that's something that you would do too. Oh, if we never talked about I guess we, <laughs> no. yeah, why would we talk about that? No, we haven't. <laughs> it really works. I'm really, I, I want, bet. I want to get someone on the show to kind of take us through that. Not like a, a live visualization session, but like talk through like how they help high performers use visual, visualization to kind of like reach their, you know, peak. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I'm I'm not exaggerating. This wasn't just for the show. Like that's that summer, I guess it was spring when I was like visualizing on the way to these basketball games, like I, this stuff would happen and it would happen exactly as I saw it. And I would react quicker. And it was just like, it was the weirdest deja vu feeling when it does. Maybe you're a wizard. <sighs> you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if that's not where to end the show, then I don't know where it is. But uh, any parting thoughts before we do? You finally, you finally got your Harry Potter in the show. You've been trying for 12 episodes and you finally have done it. <laughs> I wish you were a wizard. Yeah, me too. Stupid muggle. Alrighty. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. If you made it this far, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> Goodbye.